Welcome to Where Are I Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. My name is Tom Ellett, and I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs, and this is a very special edition. As you know, unfortunately, I don't have a co-host now because we're in COVID-19 and the RAs are home taking care of themselves. But I do have a wonderful evening scheduled for tonight with two great former and current staff members, but was a former live-in staff member. Let me explain who we are. We have two great guests. First, we have Therese Grande, who was a RA in Third North during the 2004-2006 academic years. And in 2009, she became a RHD at NYU and in 2010, a program administrator in residence life and housing. And also we have Chris Tippick, who was an RA at Rutgers University, the big R, during the 2002 to 2005 academic years. But since he wisened up and he came to NYU to get a couple of degrees, a a master's degree, and then finally a doctoral degree. Uh, And he is now the director for residential staff and programs at Residence Life and Housing Services. Welcome, Therese and Chris, and thank you for joining me in tonight's show. It is such an honor to have two of the all-time great Residence Life staff members. Thanks, Tom. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell us where you're calling from. It's COVID-19. We're kind of all spread out over the place. Where are you, Therese? I am calling in from Long Beach, California. So I moved out to California in 2012. Um, and I live just a little bit south of uh, Los Angeles. And Chris? And I am uh, on campus at Broom Street, live from the 312 lounge of the Broom Residential College. That was my apartment for my first uh, nine years at NYU. I'm bringing bringing memories back. Excellent. (laughs) We're going to start, Therese, with you a little bit in terms of uh, what made you want to be an RA at NYU? That is a wonderful question. So I lived uh, randomly in Hayden Hall as a freshman um, and coming into NYU, I was an English major. And to be completely honest, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do after college, but law school was um, kind of a possibility on my radar at the time. And as a freshman in Hayden, the res ed headquarters were still on the first and second floor there. Um, and so I saw a flyer for the NYU peer board. And as someone who thought that I might want to be a, a lawyer one day, um, it kind of caught my eye. It sounded like good debate prep or, or something like mock trial. And I kind of envisioned myself, you know, arguing passionately with people across the table. Um, and so I, I applied for that experience and I could not have been more wrong about what that experience is going to be or more fortunate about being wrong. Um, it was, it was so different from what I had imagined rather than sitting there and kind of having uh, cross examinations and mock trials. I found that I was much more interested in the story behind the individuals that came before peer board. Um, why were students making these choices? Why did some people, uh, wind up sort of getting written, written up or come, coming before peer board when other people um, who probably had the exact same behaviors uh, never wound up in front of peer board. And in some ways, it was kind of like a mini crash course in student development. Um, and that really kind of opened up a whole new career trajectory for me. And I know we do shout outs, but I have to say that for me, Craig Jolly and Adam Furtman as the advisors to the NYU peer board completely kind of changed by my life trajectory. 
two phenomenal uh, res lifers and NYU uh, staff members for sure. Uh, Chris, what about you? you? You know, you came in a different path. You were an RA at the Big R, and, and then you wisened up and came to NYU. What made you think about NYU for the grad program? Oh, uh, well, it, Tom, it's like such a higher ed story. Like I, I was um, uh, president of the class at Rutgers, and both of my advisors were alum of the NYU master's program. And um, I was talking about it with my area director when I was an RA. And she was like, oh, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I heard about this higher ed thing and I'm contemplating it. And she said, oh, well, I have this RA that um, is in the master's program at NYU. We should take a, a, a train ride up and go visit. I'd literally been to New York City twice in my life. And so I was sort of like, all right, you know, I'm going to go with it. Um, but we um, met him at student activities, the former RA. And um, who else did I meet but Maya Ardone, who is a, a former RA and on your podcast, and she, you know, I mean, she's just a ball of energy and just so awesome and um, showed me around campus and, and I fell in love. Um, I mean, I was supposed to go to University of Indiana, um, which is where, you know, I, where I was really heavily contemplating going. But after meeting Maya and then interviewing with the Res Ed team, I just fell in love with the experience. And um, yeah, it's just sort of one of those somebody knows somebody in higher ed things and um, just fell into working at NYU. And if I remember correct, Chris, you were served as one year in a grad position before you became an ACDE, or was it you came right into the full-time position? Exactly. So I started as a grad. Um, so I was a grad in Hayden for one year, and then um, I um, was promoted into ACDE my second year, um, and I finished my program that year. Wow. So, okay, so you're, you're both at NYU, and then you get into the Res Life office. There's a lot of change going on around the time that you were both... Uh, brought into either the RA position and certainly, Therese, when you got into the full-time position. Uh, talk a little bit about the culture of the department. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris, in terms of what your feel was in the department from a grad and then a professional staff member. But then, Therese, we'll get to you in terms of being a student. Then you moved up into a full-time position. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I thought it was amazing. And that was really what made me love it here. Um, you know, when I, like any grad program, when you start it, it just, it can be a little overwhelming and grad school is not like what a lot of NYU first years experience that it's just a lot going on. It's hard to navigate. It's hard to meet people. And for me, um, the culture here was um, so friendly and driven and involved. And I mean, I had an amazing supervisor with John Kozowskis and, um, and I remember Sarah Bleiberg, who's now Sarah Klein, you know, had reached out to get coffee and, and, you know, she became an amazing mentor for me. And then socially, just you know, it just grew into connecting to more people, um, and the culture was just very, you know, how do we make things better? How do we improve? How do you, you know, you have an idea, let's do that. Um, and I just loved that environment. That's what made me apply to so many different positions because the environment had always been, how do we make NYU better? How do we, you know, bring these ideas to light? Um, and even through, you know, in my time, you know, we had merged from Res Ed to Res Life and Housing, and. Um, although that was um, challenging, it just also led to really the core was how could this be better for students? And I just think that, you know, in terms of a professional culture, that's exactly a place that I wanted to be that sort of was always striving to improve and, um, and, and a network of people who wanted to make it happen. And just honestly, the smartest, some of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, I mean, I remember just the, all the way working with Kate Byer and, and just sort of, she always just had such good ideas and 
um, and my colleagues just always had, they were doing amazing things. They were involved in NASPA and presenting on this and, and you, Tom, presenting on like everything in the world, like seven times a conference. <laughs> um, it just was like a great environment. Um, and I just always loved being a part of it. Yeah, well, you've done such a remarkable work. We're very blessed to have you. Therese, tell me a little bit about it. You know, you're an undergrad, then you decide you want to stay. You know, a lot of times at graduation, students will say, I don't know what I want to do, or I definitely want to do this. What was it like for you at the end of your time for undergraduate? Yeah, for me, I think NYU was so formative. Um, I think as an undergraduate student there, and then kind of continuing into a graduate student and then a professional career, um, there is no place that feels more like home to me than Washington Square Park to this day. When I'm back in New York City, it's like a I just need to go and sit in Washington Square Park because I feel like both as a student and then later as a professional, that was a place where I would sit and just either in conversations with, you know, friends or colleagues, just kind of discover my myself and who I was and, and what my values were. And as I'm looking through um, or, or thinking back on this question, I feel like, Chris Dippick, did you steal my, my notes? Because so many of the things that you talked about were the things... <laughs> that I think I really loved about um, NYU as well. I think it's a little bit cliche, um, you know, this notion that if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. But I often talk about how New York City uh, in general, and I think NYU in particular, attract a certain type of personality. And I think it's that that personality that, that Chris hit on. You have folks that are just absolutely talented and brilliant in their field. But on top of that, there is this drive to kind of innovate or to learn something new and to constantly think about how do we how do we take what we're doing to the next level and I think to have come of age as a student and as an early professional in that field really really left a a mark on me I always think about that John Sexton speech about learning to play another octave on the piano and I think that is kind of the ethos of the NYU environment that I have have really appreciated and kind of taken with me into to other places. Teresa, I would, I would be missing a moment if I didn't ask you about your time as RA Council President, uh, you know, leading your peers in a really important role. Uh, how did you approach that and what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, that's a, it's such an interesting question because I am now currently involved um, in the community college system in uh, our staff senate. Um, and so much of the, I think the things I learned through RA Council um, have kind of stuck with me. And I think I really kind of forged my, my leadership philosophy um, by leading RA Council. I remember coming into that group and thinking um, that it had so much potential because you had all of these really fantastic RAs. It was lacking a little bit of structure. Um, and I remember my first year, I decided uh, to be the secretary. And that's kind of a pattern that I think I have followed in my, my leadership journey is kind of that first year, kind of understanding how an organization works so that if and when you end up kind of leading the organization, you really kind of know where its strengths and weaknesses are from a kind of organizational systems standpoint. The other memory that always sticks out for me, and I promise I'm not preaching to the choir here, is um, how valuable those one-on-one conversations were with you, Tom. I think that for for a young kind of professional learning to kind of be in the presence of leadership and learn how to to disagree in really civil ways. Um, I think the position I always remember the most is there was an advocacy chair. And I, I remember our 
first year kind of running this together when you were the advisor and I was the president, I think that you had some really strong feelings about the advocacy chair and the history of that, that position and wanting to get rid of it. And we went back and forth on how that could really be a value, you know, the notion of thinking about advocacy proactively. And if we were able to kind of harness that advocacy so that things didn't become a problem. Um, and I just, I learned so much sitting across that table from you, both the way that you kind of would gracefully disagree with me, but also allow me the space to kind of challenge you. And so I just, I really thank you for those conversations. Um, thank you. And I, and I still um, am always pushing hard on those advocacy. We still have it, Therese, so it hasn't left, uh, much to my chagrin. Uh, Chris, I'd like to ask you a similar question, but you have been the advisor, uh, co-advisor with me of RE Council. Um, how do you see students today in leadership roles as RAs uh, being most successful? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, some of the, the more successful folks are are ones who actually are listening. Uh, so often people want to talk. And I think in an environment like today where everyone comments and, and posts and tweets and, and all these kinds of things, they're just always sharing an opinion. But I actually find that some of the most successful leaders um, today are, are the ones who are who are listening and then acting. And I actually we've seen, I mean, I think Sophia this year was very good at that. Uh, she was very good at listening to her peers, synthesizing the emotion out, um, and getting to the core of the question or or the piece that someone was advocating for. Um, and I think that's so important, um, you know, for two reasons. One, because you're actually working with a tangible piece of information once you um, are listening. But two, you know, a good leader makes others feel heard. And when they see that you're representing um, other voices, uh, I think that's a really important part of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And there's probably not enough about listening. As a matter of fact, I was, didn't answer your question because I was listening. Um, but but it, it is so true. Um, so let's transition to the, let's go to the point of why did you make this commitment to higher education? You, you both have had lots of opportunities to look outside because of how skilled you are, how thoughtful you are, and what great leaders you are. But what's kept you committed to higher ed, Chris? The reason I, I decided to do higher is it seemed like a, a field that wouldn't get boring. <laughs> um, you know, I always knew I wanted to be in education, um, but the thing I was afraid of, um, and I, I was a history major, um, and I thought I would be like going a, an academic route, but I was always afraid of that it would be the same thing every year. Um, and for me, the thing that keeps me so excited is, is that every year is different. I mean, even if you're in the same role, like one year, like this year could not be more different than last year, which is way different than the year before. And similarly, what you accomplished this year will become a norm next year. And then you have to challenge yourself to do something new. And I really like that type of environment where you're always challenging yourself. You're always growing. You're moving on to collaborate on new things. Um, and I think it's a field of, of doers who are able to combine intellect with practice. Um, and, and I love that. I, I sort of am pragmatic at heart. And so I, as much as I love policy and I love research, I think at the end of the day, I'm a doer. And, and I think I just love um, kind of taking some things that we're learning academically and, and actually applying them. Um, and then second, um, as you both know from my Facebook, I've always loved politics and history. 
Um, and I always felt like res life was a little bit like being a mayor, you know, or like being in, in government. Um, you know, you're sort of the mayor of your town and you're, you're, it's, it's the Maslow thing, right? Like making sure everyone's needs are met, uh, everyone's happy, everyone's um, surviving, but then you're also trying to get to know them, build relationships, build community, make it a place that people want to live, make it a place that people are excited to live. And that to me is fun. Like, I, I mean, what better job to have than one you can call fun? So um, I still find it fun and I still find it exciting. So to me, if I love the people I work with and I love the work I'm doing, then that's going to keep me here. Um, and so I still feel that way to this day. And it shows. And I'd agree with you. I mean, you, you know, our constituents, if you think of it from a political standpoint, are so varied. Those who are pro us, those who are against us, and those who are apathetic and really don't care about what's happening, right? So there's a whole spectrum of that. Therese, how about for you? And you've had some change as it relates to, I mean, you, you came through residence life, or, although you had a little bit of work in the in the judicial piece that you talked about. You, you've changed a little bit now in terms of what you've done. What has kept you and how did you make those pivots? Yeah, absolutely. And I should say that the the Judicial Affairs Office is what directly led to the, to the RA role. Um, and so when I say it was kind of life-changing it was so much because it, it sort of opened my eyes to this entire field um unlike chris i had no idea that education was something that i would end up doing um but i think very similar to chris the the variety and the kind of diverse opportunities to kind of broaden your career set is something that i really value about higher education and i mean that both in terms of the students that we work with, but also the types of projects that you get to be involved in. So that notion of working with people that come from all over, and I think what's especially exciting about education is that while all your students might be NYU students or they all might be community college students, they're going to go out into a variety of fields. And so you end up having this sort of network of impact or this this connection of people that are doing amazing things in medical research or in public policy or in education or in the arts. And so that idea that you get to really help students kind of find that path has something that I think has always kept me in education. And then from a professional level, when I moved back to, to California, and I wasn't quite sure exactly where I would land, and I started looking outside of education and applied to some things in, in private industry. But really realized for me, I think the most important part is to be working at a, an institution that is mission driven. Um, and so higher education kind of kept calling back to me. And since then, I've been in the community college system and have the, had the chance to work through a couple of different sectors. One thing that's great about working at a, a smaller institution relative to NYU is you get to kind of hop from division to division in a way that's not as possible. Um, just the first community college campus I was on, I was thinking, wow, you can fit almost all of our full-time people in the Res Life staff meeting. Um, so just the, the idea that at, at, at a much smaller place, you get to kind of uh, get your hands in more things and get more experience in curriculum or the kind of policy or, or planning part. So I, I, I need to have you both tell us a little bit about your paths crossing in the NYU residence life world, because if, if I remember correctly, you both kind of started in Hayden, but there was a third North piece, there was a Carlisle piece. Um, did you ever actually work on the same staff together? That's a great question. I don't think we ever have, have we, Chris? 
Not technically. Yeah. No. I, I mean, we are, we are basically like res life relatives. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like when I was in Hayden, Therese was in Central, but worked in Hayden. Um, and then when, um, Therese, when I was in Carlisle, you were still in Third North in 06? I was Kate's grad. Um, okay. You were and and so I actually took over for you in Carlisle when you got right. promoted. And I picked your I remember team, that was, and then hopefully that went well. <laughs> you picked a great team, and it was also so daunting because that team loved you so. They were like, "There's no one that could replace Chris," <laughs> and I was like, "I will do my best." <laughs> well, you you rocked it. They loved you. So let's talk a little bit about the whole transgression or the transition, Chris, from being in different roles. And, and so, you know, for our listeners to hear, how can someone go within an organization and be colleagues with someone and then supervise them and be a colleague and then supervise that <laughs> next group as you move up the chain, right? That's a really difficult competency. And how did you approach that? Yeah, I, that's a good question, Tom. And I, I actually have been thinking about that. Because um, in some ways, I feel like I've been doing it my whole life. Like I... Um, even when I was um, like my first job in, in high school, like I ended up having like a supervisory role with people who were older than me and as an RA being um, an RA for upperclassmen who were, you know, people who were older than me. There's sort of these things that they were my, 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 my friends or whatever, but then I was their RA. And, and, um, and that was similar to going to Hayden, you know, I was a grad, but I was also younger than half my staff. Um, so I guess like just growing up at some of those, pieces of I don't know how to say but awkwardness of like um you know supervising someone you have a relationship with kind of came a little more naturally with experience but I think also just being yourself and being true and you know we're both in the position um and having real conversations about lines and um and how, how we work through you know what what we used to be as colleagues and then how it's going to go now as a supervisor and I, I feel like I've been fortunate enough that it's always, you know, gone well. Um, and I think that comes just with the the notion of respect and just knowing that um, how to separate out like the personal stuff and the, the professional stuff. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice because uh, it happens, <laughs> uh, especially if you stay long in an organization and you do well, uh, you will have those opportunities. Uh, Therese, how was it for you to leave the East Coast uh, as a professional and go to the West Coast? What, culturally, what do you see different? I mean, you hear this kind of kumbaya West Coast feel, and I don't know whether it exists or not. I mean, <laughs> you tell me. I think there is definitely some some truth in that. And so the, the way that I landed in the community college system is um, – Actually, I've been trying to rack my brain because I can never remember exactly what conference it was. I want to say it might have been, Tom, a conference that we went to together, maybe an Akuhoi like living learning conference up in Syracuse. I remember you being very excited about Syracuse, um, but I can't remember if it was this exact conference. But I had the chance to see a keynote speaker from someone in the community college system in the state of New York. Um, and this is still early on. I think I was still either a grad or my first year um, in Carlisle. And I remember thinking, if I ever have the chance, I'd really love to, to try and work in a community college system because the mission around mm -hmm. access um, and serving students that have historically been either marginalized or disenfranchised is really 
was very important to me. So when I moved back to California, you know, one of the challenges is if you work in Res Life, there's not a lot of community college opportunity since there's not a robust housing system. So when I moved back to California, um, I realized that was kind of the perfect time to try something new um, and cast a really wide net and ended up um, taking a job in the president's office. It was, a, it was a hard time to come back to California because the uh, furloughs from kind of the, the Great Recession were still in place very much in the public system. So I, I think when I got hired in 2013, I might have been one of the first people hired in a few years just because the budget cuts were, were so extreme. Um, and that was such a great crash course in learning an entirely different system. Um, I think that earlier we were talking about how there's so many different paths you can take in higher ed. And I, I think that really is, is true and appropriate to just thinking about whether you want to work in the public sector or the private sector, whether you want to stay in student affairs or um, teach. So I would say that when I landed in California, the, the your question about sort of this more laid back feel. I, I, I think my first year in the job, I would get like a lot of things done within three hours and people would be like, how did you do that so quickly? And because I was used to this really fast paced, everything constantly changing, kind of the hustle and bustle of New York City. And so I, I quickly realized, I was like, oh, wow, th there's definitely a little bit of a, a different culture. And I think that's also um, the difference between working in a public and a, and a private institution. I think there can oftentimes be a little bit more bureaucracy or red tape or, or legislative issues that you're dealing with in the, the public system that I have definitely learned to kind of navigate. Uh, let's talk a little bit about education and the credentials that you both attained uh, academically and, and why they were important for you to continue on to pursue. And what, and, and what do you use it with your degrees now? I mean, how has it helped you? Curious, you want to start that one? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I actually, so I, my undergrad degree was in psychology, and then I went on and I started a master's in higher education at, at NYU um, and didn't finish in part because I took the professional job um, and always thought I would end up going back and never did. So that would be my first piece of advice to listeners is that um, experience is fantastic, but there are definite realistic barriers um, that you, you can't necessarily break through without the credentials. Um, so when I moved back to California, and I had mentioned earlier about kind of the difference between working in the public and, and private sector of education, something I felt like I had a lot of experience in was student affairs, but something I didn't have a lot of experience, experience in was um, public policy. So when I went back to finally finish my master's degree, I, I kind of shifted paths a little bit. At that point, I was pretty confident that I wanted to stay in the community college system and that having a better sense around public administration and public policy would be really, really important. Um, and it served me really well. In the past year or so, I have done a policy fellowship for the state of California, which was really fascinating. Um, it was a small cohort of about 25 people, um, and it is cross-functional. So they have people from the Cal States, the UCs, um, the community college system, but also, also people in government and policy trying to kind of solve larger educational policy issues. Um, and that's been probably one of the most, outside of NYU, um, one of the most kind of formative experiences that I've had as a professional is getting the chance to work across those sectors to really focus on student success. Yeah, those are great points, too. I feel like, you know, there's always a debate in our field about, you know, do you need a master's or not? You know, do you need a doctorate or not for senior level jobs? And I mean, I feel like having a master's in higher ed is so important, and I think I took a lot from my program at NYU. 
um, because I think some of the takeaways were sort of student, for me, student development theory was was huge. And just, uh, I'm coming from someone who was a history major. I mean, I studied stuff that has nothing to do with higher ed um, or students or psychology or counseling. And so for me, it was really um, enlightening to think about students in that way um, and, and in more broad strokes. And I think that really helped me um, uh, you know, understand how res life worked and how to how to work with students and meet people where they're at. Um, and so I thought that was really integral. And also, I, I remember taking How College Works, um, which is one of I think that was probably one of my favorite courses I've taken. And it's probably like I mean that book is a little dry, but it, it's a great course. And um, because because the reality is I don't think that any anything in the world functions like American higher education. It's really weird. Um, and so to understand how things are governed and how they work and who does what and who has power and who doesn't. And um, I mean, to, like, how would someone know that if they didn't take a course on it? Um, it's not that straightforward. And so I think I think it's important. Um, and then certainly, um, you know, having just finished my doctorate last year, I feel like I took a ton from that program in terms of policy and how it works, how it's written, um, how people respond to policy, how to measure if um, people are responding to policy and is it scalable? I mean, I think I just learned a lot about sort of macro level decision-making, um, which, you know, like I, I think that there's always a thing in our field of like, do people who are, you know, a director of his life need a doctor? And I don't know, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that I, I've, grown a ton uh, in terms of how I think about things or um, how I sort of conceive what's going on from the government to us or even things that we're doing within Res Life. Um, I've, I've learned a ton. So I, I think, you know, credentials are, are only helpful um, to making you a better professional in your own professional development. What I love about that answer, Chris, too, is I feel like you're really hitting on kind of this key point of having a credential because it's going to make you better at this thing that you're passionate about versus having a credential because you you kind of need it to get to the next step. I think there's there's something in there, some wisdom about pursuing your next degree or your next educational path because there's something about it that's going to make you better at what you do versus I have to do this to kind of meet the next level. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think, I think that's exactly right. No, you hit it right in the head. I, th I think you're absolutely right on that. Um, like to hear about what, when you reflect on your time at NYU to date, Chris and, and Teresa in your past, what's that one thing that you're most proud of that you have helped work on or initiative or student situation or a crisis that you really felt like it was something that was memorable, impactful, and you're really proud of? I think, you know, generally speaking, I'm just proud of the team that I've been a part of. It's just been so awesome to to be in and out of different teams and buildings and areas and things like that. I think if I were to point to one uh, sort of thing, event or what have you, um, I would say to me, Project Pay Attention was one of the coolest things I was a part of. Um, I mean, I just, to me, I love working with my faculty fellow and residents, Joe Salvatore, and he and I. Um, just got to do a lot together. And it really it was just one of those things that started from a conversation over a drink about like um, Tyler Clementi and the tragedy that happened around that. And um, it moved into a program we did with Chris Woods um, in our in our mini theater, which evolved into a passive campaign, which evolved into uh, something that became an NYU wide 
event um, or, or sort of passive in initiative. And I think I'm most proud of it is because it, it took off on its own. I mean, it, it really resonated with students and I would hear, overhear people at Starbucks talking about it or I'd see the project pay attention sticker on laptops and students just really responded to it in a way that I just had never expected. And they were having like serious conversations about being a bystander and standing up for other people and being a part of an inclusive community without sort of being in a forced environment to do so, you know? And I just thought it was really inspiring and encouraging and um, students just ran with it. I've never really been a part of something like that where it was sort of created, but the students ran with it and like some of the RAs made their own videos and they made different things. Yeah, you know, it was really cool. Um, and we just kept working on it. And, and it was also a really great way to um, work with some of my favorite people, you know, Joe and Stacy and Coco um, and Brian and, and Tara. It was just really, I worked with new people um, and um, it was just awesome. And so I was just really proud of sort of what we could do with that out of what was really just a conversation over a drink. In a program that went regional and national, other institutions picked it up as well. So you're understating the impact it had and still to this day has. Um, Therese, how about for you? That's such a hard question when you think about, you know, like 10 years in one place. Um, so I, I kind of have two answers. So one is more more individual. I think the the impact and the relationships that I developed, especially when I was working as a professional staff member in Carlisle. Um, you'll, you'll love this, Tom. We actually just had a, a Carlisle family reunion on Zoom over the past weekend. And I think we had probably like 16 or 18 different RAs from all across the country, um, babies and partners. And it was just mm -hmm. to know that you have had that kind of impact in people's lives um, that, you know, decades after you've supervised someone that, that you are someone that they want to kind of be at their wedding or, or meet their, their children and their partners. Um, it's just, it's a really humbling and kind of honoring experience to know that, that you've had that impact on someone's educational journey. So for me, I think it's definitely the, the individual relationships that I had with the students that I supervised or advised while I was at NYU. I think from an organizational kind of standpoint or a program I think about the fact that RA Council and, and NRHH are still there and going strong. And so that feels like a legacy to be proud of as well. Excellent. Uh, this is a chance for you uh, both to tell me what your favorite position was while at NYU. Therese? Oh, I think hands down being the, the RHAD over at Carlisle. Um, I, I have to preface this by saying I loved with a passion every single role I had, but there was something really, mm -hmm. really special about the Carlisle family. Okay. Chris, how about for you? Uh, this is such an unfair question, Tom. Um, <laughs> well, you know, that's what the host gets to do. All right. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I just love each, each year had its own sort of amazingness, but um, I mean, I think having been in Third North for, for five years, and I mean, I supervised almost 150 RAs at that time. Um, I mean, and we're talking a thousand students a year. Um, and I just had the benefit of like seeing people like Chris Woods and Phil Klugman and Ashley Nicholson and Candace Castanera and Priyanka and AJ. I mean, I could go on with people who were first year students in my building, and then I got to see them you know, stay in touch sophomore year and I got to hire them as RAs and 
see them graduate. And I just think that there's nothing better in higher education than like meeting someone when they're, when they're new um, and seeing them graduate. And I just think that that was just so special to be a part of in my time here. Um, and, and I just had amazing coworkers. Like I said, I mean, I, I just loved working with Joe Salvatore and Stacy and I, I mean, Stacy was just the best partner I could have asked for. I mean, she married us for Christ's sake. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I loved working with her and Chev and Will and Sharmila. And it was uh, honestly the CBS team, public safety, like I still go back and talk to Bobby. And the first thing he says, how's John doing, you know? Um, it just was a family. It really was. Um, and it, it, it was just very special. Yeah. You know, I was gonna, the next question was going to be, do you stay in touch with anyone uh, from the RA ranks or professional staff? But you've kind of answered that question. Um, but give you a chance to shout out anyone else that you haven't shouted out that you'd like to, Therese? Oh, gosh, yeah. So Chris and I strategized a little bit before. Um, <laughs> okay. Because, okay. because we so have, like, as Chris mentioned, uh, we are like, what first cousins in the res life family. So there's a lot of, a lot of overlap. Um, so I will start with people that probably won't be on our, be on our overlap list. Um, I think about back when I was an RA at third North, um, and I need to give some shout outs to, to Mooney Sayed and Daniel Davis, who were kind of the like wise older RAs at the time that sort of showed everyone the ropes. Um, Mike Drucker, who is still the funniest person that I've ever met in my entire life, uh, and Billy Simons were both RAs with me at Third North, and some of my all-time favorite memories were hanging out in the Third North coffee house um, for hours mm -hmm. on end when we probably should have been doing anything else. Um, and then I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't mention that um, Kate Byer is probably my biggest role model and mentor that I have had to date, and so much of what I have learned from from Kate as a professional and just as a as a human um, have really shaped me, and I'm incredibly thankful for her wisdom and her mentorship. And if you don't give a shout out to Greta, I don't know. <laughs> That's right, especially because it's her Come upcoming on. birthday. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. She loves you. She loves you. She loves you. Uh, Chris. Um, I mean, 15 years is going to be a long list, but uh, you know, first, I, all the RAs. Uh, I've worked with all the pro staff I've worked with. So shout out to all of them. And especially um, those I just mentioned, Sharmila and Chev and Joe and Matt Mayhew. Um, I got to shout out my former supervisors, right? John Kozlowskis and Charity yeah, yeah. Um, and Stuart, yeah. Robinette and Rachel Aldis and Delmi and Kate. Um, and of course, Neil and you, Tom, I got to give you a shout out. Is that permissible? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> Um, but also a special shout out to um, those I've really um, gotten to stay in touch with over the years, um, especially Omar Miranda and Nick Evans and Marissa Mariano, um, Carrie Smith, Jen Sheridan, Katrina Lee and Ashley Staples, um, all people that I've been fortunate enough to stay in contact over the years. Yeah, just so many we're more to mention. We have a joint shout out list. Okay, so. you go for it. <laughs> all right, so well, people we'll that probably already been mentioned, but worth mentioning again. So I'll start with Joanna Champion. And Stacey mm. Ulrich. Sarah mm. Bleiberg Klein, who we've mentioned a couple of times. And Will McGrath. Nick Evans. And Anna Schmidt. And, and then... Oh, and John Carrion. 
And then similar to what Chris said earlier, I think I've supervised too many RAs to do individual shout-outs. Someone will be left out. So I will sort of honor the entire okay. Carlisle family and the Central staff family as well. There you go. I love it. Uh, now we're going to jump to speed round. This is a chance for you to tell us in one word or less or a few words. What were your favorites? Let's go through favorite tradition at NYU. Chris. Fire Olympics. Therese. Midnight breakfast. Yeah, midnight breakfast. Uh, favorite NYU professor, Therese? Uh, that I never had a class with, Joe Salvatore. That I actually had a class with, Patrick Deere. Chris? Uh, Lizette Nieves. Uh, any celebrity sightings at NYU, Chris? So one time I was walking down the street with Domi and saw Nick Jonas, and that was, that was cool. Um, and he took a photo with me and gave me a CD. It was great. Uh, but I think my absolute favorite celebrity settings are the former RAs that I supervise uh, and seeing them do their thing. Um, Josh Sagara on, yeah. on your feet and mm-hmm. Ryan Redmond doing Frozen and If Then and Ismail Cruz Cordova, um, Stephanie Shu and Mrs. Maisel. And so those are the celebrities that I love seeing around. Um, it just makes my heart happy that they're do- living out their dreams um, like we had talked about back when they were just RAs. Yeah. Therese? Uh, being at NYU for 10 years meant there was lots of celebrity sightings, but the ones that kind of jumped into my brain, I remember ice skating next to Uma Thurman uh, up in mm-hmm. Central Park. I remember seeing Leah Schreiber all the time walking his dog in Washington Square Park. Uh, and I remember being at a diner once and Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, was there and I it took all my self-control to just like eat my pancakes at two in the morning and not go up to him and talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, what's your most memorable residence life and housing or res ed experience? We'll start with uh, Chris and then we'll go to Therese. Uh, every end of the year event, my favorite. Yeah. 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 Therese. Oh, that's so hard. Um, I'm going to go with, the, I already mentioned this, but the, the third North coffee house, I think it's the perfect idea of sometimes things were planned and scheduled, but more often than not, it was just a, a real community hub where people came to hang out and spend time with others. That's great. And I wish it was still there, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been a joy to catch up with the two of you, though I see Chris more frequently, obviously. Um, <laughs> this was intentional to do this particular episode with the two of you at the end, uh, because you are what... Res Life, Res Ed really is the heart and soul of people who are great, who care, who role model and give back. So I couldn't end a season, uh, season two, uh, on a better note than with the two of you. So thank you both for taking some time from your busy schedule to chat with me tonight. Thank you so much. It was such an honor. Such a pleasure. Absolutely. Let's stay in touch. Special thanks to my engineer, Alejandra Aravella, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasing, and to the current professional staff, who are amazing, and our alum, who are also amazing, of NYU, who assisted these great RAs and entry-level professionals, now all the way up to the director, uh, with skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the NYU RA alumni website. Here's a chance to send some pictures in. Uh, you can see RA favorite books, pics of all favorite, all-time favorite moments and RA accomplishments. Until next time, let's stay in touch uh, and not forget the memories we have shared with one another. Have a great night, everybody, and a great year. Bye.